0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Rare Possessions Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Galletti, and with me is Jared Riddick, the archivist from Book of Mormon Central. Glad to be here again. Excellent. We are kind of uh, leapfrogging a little bit from an episode two weeks ago where we talked a little bit about the the Napoleon story, those of our Mm -hmm. listeners that remember that. This is kind of a 19 years later article Mm -hmm. that pops up in the Improvement Era by George Reynolds, who we featured in last week's episode. And uh, in this particular one in September 1899 talks about a passage in the Book of Mormon, 2 Nephi chapter 10, that about the prophecies that this land, again, we're putting that in air quotes, this land um, will have no king uh, and all that kind of stuff. It's a, it's a section of scripture that has been used a lot in trying to support a particular Geographical theory for the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. In what
1: ways has it been used? It's been used in ways to to single out particular geographies, uh, North America specifically. But one of things we should real one of the things that's valuable to realize is that when this land is often used in the nineteenth century context, it generally refers to both the American continents, which were referred to thought of as one. Mass the Americas. Yeah, you see that a lot in nineteenth-century thought. Uh, ruins down in South America were referred to by America by United States archaeologists as American ruins. Uh, this was thought of as one great whole, you could say. And Elder Reynolds does some very interesting things in this article. I quite enjoy this article. Yeah, well, I like he, his thought processes he, here.
0: He brings back in that history of Napoleon and Maximilian and. In Mexico and how that kind of resonates as a a fulfillment, I think, of the, these verses
1: mm-hmm. that,
0: hey, he didn't make it in Mexico because the okay.
1: Book of Mormon says he wouldn't have. Then he also goes back to the revolution and to the revolutions in South America where they shook off the bonds of Spain. But yeah, there's
0: that- several, several countries mentioned, not just...
1: Not just the United One or States. One
0: and yeah, it goes through the United States, Mexico, and there were several other countries that were mentioned in South America, you know, Brazil, Bolivia, and things like that. There's there's several of them in here. But it, it again, not only does it reflect 19th century thought, but the idea that the promised land, whatever that
1: is and to whomever that is promised, will be a land of liberty. It mm-hmm. has to be. And it, be, it may be valuable to read the verses from Second Nephi real quick, if you don't Yeah, mind. go for it. This, But behold, this land, saith God, shall be a land of thine inheritance, and the Gentiles shall be blessed upon the land. And this land shall be a land of liberty unto the Gentiles, and there shall be no kings upon the land who shall raise up unto the Gentiles. And I will fortify this land against all other nations. Neither fighteth, fighteth against Zion shall perish, saith God. For he that raises up, raiseth up a king against me shall perish for I the Lord the king of heaven will be their king and I'll be a light unto them forever that fear my word that hear my words.
0: And you know it's it's interesting when we talk about the word king. You know, how what do we mean by a, a king? Um mm-hmm. is that someone that we, is simply just a powerful person or is it only relating to those that have the title king? I mean there's lots of ways that this this verse could be technically interpreted but in this particular article we have some very interesting
1: history, and again, a very unique application of the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting you don't see the Book of Mormon itself, um, the idea of, well, Nephi was not crazy about being declared a king by his people. But they don't see kings among themselves as fulfillments, as part of this prophecy. It's it's a future time that they're looking forward to. Which is interesting when you do consider, again, Second Nephi, very early on in the history. Mm-hmm. And this is Jacob speaking. He's very close as you as a word to the royal family. <laughs> the royal
0: family—that uh, just feels weird to say that it does. The Lehites were a royal family, but mm-hmm. they are in in, a, in probably a more spiritual sense. But uh, anyway, so there there is some interesting history in this. There is some some interesting application of the scriptures, and I think one of the reasons why this is such a fun read for us is that it it kind of again shows this. Application of the Book of Mormon to the world around them and, and a very kind of recent w- history to them.
1: And we, we kind of don't do that much anymore.
0: Yeah, it does seem like we don't, we don't seem to apply the Book of Mormon to what's happening in
1: different parts of the world. We Secret combinations inward. comes up a lot, but that's always come up a lot. <laughs> yeah. Anybody we don't like, oh, they're just a secret combination. It's sad, <laughs> it's sad but true. Um. For those who are curious, Book of Mormon Central, we recently published a Know Why, a Know Why f- number 497, Where Is the Land of Promise, uh, discussing some of these articles and what prophecies and things the Book of Mormon say and do not say. And there are very valuable things to consider, especially today.
0: So, this article ends on a, a very bold note, and yeah. we want to talk Maybe about Maybe overbearing, it. almost. Okay, okay. I mean, I, I, I don't know how to prove him
1: wrong. Neither, neither do I, but it just, it doesn't… <laughs> It doesn't match the tone. It's, it's, uh, well, let's just go ahead and say there's a portion where he
0: essentially identifies several family members of Napoleon and Maximilian who, again, we mentioned tried to establish themselves as kings or
1: emperors over Mexico. As part of the second French empire, the great second French empire. Yeah.
0: And in this particular case, again, this article is trying to reinforce the ways in which the Book of Mormon Prophesied that anybody who
1: got in the you know who tried to become a king would would perish. It almost reminds me. Of, it does remind me of the if you remember the, the fate of the persecutors of the prophet Joseph Smith. A little bit, which was largely yeah. Except this one was that one was largely Fake, fiction. Yeah, this one. What this, this stuff happened. This stuff happened. It's just and a, it's awful.
0: It's an interesting causation theory. Let's put it that way. Yeah. The the bad things that happened to some of these people is. A literal fulfillment and a stamp, a divine stamp that the Book of Mormon is authentic, it's real, and and that's how he viewed it. I, we can't soft-pedal that too much. Um, that was his point of view. That was his point of view, and, and uh, so let's get right to it. This is a reading of He Shall Perish by George Reynolds from the Improvement Era in September 1899. He Shall Perish by George Reynolds, in the September 1899 Improvement Era. No sooner had the riches of America become known to the peoples of Europe through the discoveries and conquests of the Spaniards, than the various monarchies began to partition the Western world among themselves, as they are now doing Africa and China. England, France, Portugal, and other nations followed the example of Spain and established colonies in different parts of this land until a map of 150 years ago would show the whole of the American continent as belonging to or being tributary to some of the European powers. The people of the United States were the first to shake off the foreign yoke, and their example was followed a few decades later by a number of others. It is somewhat remarkable that these revolutionary upheavals were the most active and most successful between the time of the appearance of the father and the son To the youthful prophet Joseph Smith in 1820, and the publication of the Book of Mormon about ten years later. Between these dates, Ecuador, Brazil, Mexico, Bolivia, and Peru declared themselves independent of all foreign powers. In all of these cases, except in Brazil, a republic was declared, fashioned more or less after the pattern of the United States. In Brazil, an independent empire was proclaimed. In the tenth chapter of the second book of Nephi appears the following prophecy uttered by his brother Jacob. But behold, this land, saith God, shall be a land of thine inheritance, and the Gentiles shall be blessed upon the land. And this land shall be a land of liberty unto the Gentiles, and there shall be no kings upon the land who shall raise up unto the Gentiles. And I will fortify this land against all other nations. And he that fighteth against Zion shall perish, saith God. For he that raiseth up a king against me shall perish, for I the Lord, the King of heaven, will be their king, and I will be a light unto them forever that hear my words. It will be noticed in this prophecy that it is stated, There shall be no kings upon the land who shall raise up unto the Gentiles, for he that raiseth up a king against me shall perish. It cannot be said that those kings who were raised up unto the Gentiles before the publication of the Book of Mormon were raised up against God. For where there is no law, there is no condemnation. And therefore those who had no opportunity of knowing the law or who were raised up before it was published could not have done it in rebellion against or in opposition to the word and will of the Lord. This was the case with Brazil. But even that empire has perished in God's own time and a republican form of government now controls in that land. But there is a case that most terribly fulfills the maldiction contained in the above-quoted prophecy. It is that of the Emperor Louis-Napoleon of France and those associated with him in the attempt to establish an empire in Mexico. For a number of years, Louis-Napoleon was the mightiest man in Europe, partly through the glamour of his name as the nephew of his uncle and partly by long-continued endeavour associated with political astuteness. He had worked himself from being a political exile in England to be first the president of the French Republic and afterwards emperor of the French. For a time all went well with him, so far as outward appearances were concerned. But he undertook to raise up a king to the Gentiles against the Lord on this continent, and then decisive, though gradual destruction, came upon him. In the days when Napoleon was president of the French Republic in 1851, Elder John Taylor, with other brethren, visited Europe as a missionary of the Church of Jesus Christ. His labors were largely in France and Germany. He published the Book of Mormon in the languages of both these nations, and took especial care that the French translation should be placed within the reach of the President of the Republic and other high officials. We do not know whether Louis Napoleon read the Sacred Record, but he had full opportunity to do so. If he was not acquainted with the prophecies, which that book contains, the fault did not lie with the servants of God. The coup d'etat followed in December 1851, and the slender hopes that had before existed of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints being officially recognized by the French government were crushed in the despotism that followed. In due time, Louis Napoleon, from being president, was proclaimed emperor November 1852. He married the beautiful Spanish countess, Eugene de Montejo, in 1853, who, in a few years, bore him a son in 1856, the sole fruit of their union. He waged successful war against Russia, Austria, and Cochin, China, in all of which the French gained glory and, in two cases, obtained increased power and wealth. In process of time, 1861, Napoleon took it into his head he would establish an empire in Mexico. The unsettled condition of the affairs in that country afforded him the pretext that the rights of French citizens were not protected. England and Spain were at first inclined to aid him in this venture, but soon retired, and he was left alone to carry out his scheme. Maximilian, Archduke of Austria, a brother of the Emperor Francis Joseph, was chosen to occupy the imperial position. For some time he hesitated. He was loath to accept the proffered honor, But being constantly urged by the French emperor and his own friends, he finally accepted. He, with his wife, the Princess Carlotta, sister of the King of the Belgians, came over to Mexico, and for a time, with the assistance of French bayonets and the troops of the reactionary Mexican party, he made a successful campaign. Then the government of the United States made so strong a protest against the whole scheme and asserted itself so vigorously as the champion of the Mexican Republic that Napoleon thought it well to withdraw the French troops, and accordingly, they embarked for Europe. Maximilian, who was made of heroic stuff, refused to flee. His Mexican followers were overwhelmed by the national forces, and he was taken prisoner, and with two of his generals, Miramon and Mijia, was afterwards shot June of 1867. Maximilian's last words were, Poor Carlotta. And well might he say, Poor Carlotta, Sad has been her history ever since. When the French deserted her husband and she found that her efforts to secure help for him at other European courts were unveiling, her reason began to totter and the news of his death finished the work. For nearly a third of a century, she has been bereft of reason. A childless widow confined within castle walls, awaiting the liberating hand of the long-delayed angel of death. And what of Napoleon and his wife? She who was once considered the most beautiful woman in Europe? A few years after his ill-advised attempt to erect an empire on American soil, he entered altogether too lightly into a terrible war with Germany in 1870. The results are known to us. He was defeated. The enemy overflowed his land, entered his capital city, and compelled a humiliating peace. Napoleon was made a prisoner, and in France a republic was established in place of the empire over which he had ruled. He died in 1872, an exile in England. His only son went to war against savages as a soldier in the armies of the country that had proved an asylum to his father. And in far off South Africa, he was slain by the hands of the Zulus in 1879. The once beautiful Eugene, heartbroken with her sorrows, A wreck from disease and suffering, like Carlotta, still lives, the sole representative of the family. Was ever prophecy more terribly, more completely fulfilled? They have perished, root and branch. Their names are blotted out, their generations have ceased. But is that all? What of Maximilian's family? Sophie, the mother of Francis Joseph and Maximilian, was a princess of the house of Bavaria. So was Elizabeth, the former's wife. And with terrible weight and frequency, have the blows fallen on that monarch and his Bavarian kinsfolk, himself the ruler of a divided house, rapidly crumbling to pieces through the animosities of differing races of which it is composed. He has been defeated in every war in which he has engaged with his neighbors. His only son, the successor to the throne, the Crown Prince Rudolf, died of violent death in January of 1889, the details of which are a kept secret. It is officially said that he committed suicide, but the story goes that he was killed by a nobleman whose wife had formerly been a mistress to the prince and on whom Rudolf still forced his attentions. The husband is said to have also killed his wife and then himself. Thus, like Maximilian and Napoleon, Francis Joseph is left without a son and heir to the throne. Again, the emperor Francis Joseph's wife, the Empress Elizabeth, was assassinated without provocation at Geneva, Switzerland, last October, by an anarchist. Her sister Sophie, Duchess of Alencon, was burned to death in that terrible fire in May of 1897 at a charitable bazaar in Paris when so many of the ladies of the European nobility met a horrible death. The Archduchess Mathilde, another sister, carelessly dropped a burning match upon her dress and was also burned to death. King Louis II of Bavaria became insane and drowned himself. Count Louis of Trani, Prince of Sicily, committed suicide. The Archduke John of Tuscany discarded royalty and was lost at sea. The Archduke Wilhelm died from injuries received through a fall from a horse. The Archduke Ladislaus shot himself accidentally while hunting. Was there ever a family on whom misfortunes fell thicker and faster than upon the immediate relatives of the man? who was persuaded to establish himself against God's word as emperor of Mexico? The wonderful fulfillment of this one prediction alone stamps the Book of Mormon as divine, for the prophecy was uttered in the name of the Lord, and he has brought it to pass most marvelously. Thank you for listening to He Shall Perish, written by George Reynolds and appearing in the September 1899 edition of The Improvement Era. Stay tuned to Rare Possessions Podcast from Book of Mormon Central. Tune in each week for another episode. Thanks for listening.